Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and this is episode 23. I'm delighted to say hello and welcome to my guest, Keith W.R. Jones. Straight away, I'm going to ask Keith to introduce himself, because he's going to be much better at it than me, and maybe might explain the W.R. Thanks for inviting me on, Andrew. Uh, First of all, I've never been described as fascinating, so that's the first. Well, we like to make people feel welcome. <laughs> It'll change in time, don't worry. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do my best to deliver, but I can't promise. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm Keith Jones. Uh, verbally, the WR is silent. Um, but, <laughs> but in written form, it's there. Uh, and the completely non-motoring uh, background to that is my late father was also Keith Jones. Uh, hence, he uh, named me after him. Uh, but he didn't have any middle names, uh, but I was bestowed with two. Um, and he suggested, I recall I was only about six or seven, and he suggested that as I started to get older and I received mail through the post, I'd have to have a way of differentiating my post from his and suggested the WL. <laughs> so from age about seven, I think I probably started doing it in all my school books then. And it's just something that stuck. Um, but I'm very conscious it makes me sound and look ridiculously pretentious which is hopefully not like me at all uh but yes so that's me uh and i'm the continuity editor at parker's uh which sounds incredibly grandiose but as i was gonna say that's that's inc- that's a very impressive title. yeah uh I've, I've i've never been one for titles but it's uh it's something that comes with the territory of, of almost every job i've had um but it's uh Essentially, it means that my day-to-day role at Parker's is to ensure that the reviews are uh, fully up-to-date and accurate and so on. And uh, when you consider what a big beast Parker's is in terms of the site and the hundreds, if not thousands, of reviews on there, but certainly hundreds of current cars, it's, uh, I've certainly got my work cut out this year, but it's something I'm relishing and enjoying. But that's the, the sad geek in me that's uh, aching to come out constantly. So uh, it's, a, it's a nice escape, actually, going to work. I was going to say, if if it's attention to detail mm-hmm. uh, and facts and figures, it, it does sound like they have picked the right chap for it. I, I hope so. I hope, I hope I'm uh, <laughs> rewarding their uh, their faith in me. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're right. The the detail is something that I'm um, not just car related things. I think since since I was really small, it's been details of fascinated me maybe sometimes to the point of of missing the bigger picture at times but um yeah it's a hallmark of my life so to speak <laughs> well talking about when you were younger mm-hmm. i'd like to go back into the mists of time uh, and try and find out when were you first aware that you were interested in cars was it when you were very little or did it happen older uh, and were you encouraged along that interest by anybody Ooh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and a multifaceted question as well, so I'll be about three hours answering this one. Uh, okay, I, it's slightly weird in that there was nobody really in my family who was particularly car-orientated. Um, my, my father worked on the railway um, when I was, well, he started working on the railway when I was a toddler, uh, and his father worked on the railway before that as well. Um and trains were more their interest. My, my dad, uh, as a child and into early adulthood, collected model railways uh, and, and, and carried carried on building layouts and so on and, until sort of middle age. Um, but I first realised I was fascinated. 
buy cars. Uh, when I was, this sounds awfully cliched, I realise. Uh, I was two and sat on my trike at the end of the path uh, of the house we used to live in in Sheffield at the time. Uh, and there was a small wrought iron gate at the end of the path and I would bike up and down the path, uh, but found I was spending more time just sat facing out into what was quite a busy road, um, watching the traffic. Uh, and it was quite slow moving as well uh, at the time, um, mainly because it was one of the main thoroughfares into Sheffield itself. So there was a lot of opportunities for vehicles to stop. And uh, and that's, well, back to the details. This is when I started realising I was, it wasn't so much the car as a whole I was interested in. It was, it was the details on things that were yeah. particularly fascinating me. Um, uh, so I'm just trying to think back now. So it was, it was particularly things like the the colours. I remember the bright sort of vivid orange Volvos that you got at the time and turquoise Dats 120 wide and that kind of thing. We're, we're talking 1977, 78, 79 now. Um mm-hmm. And it was... Uh, well, that's not right. I thought the 70s were all brown. Every, <laughs> well, if you look at the films, everything's brown. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, maybe the historians <laughs> need to rework this one. But um, I went, yeah, and talking of the Datsuns, it, it was it was the wheel trims on those that I remember stood out because they, as a small child, they reminded me very much of uh, like the little foil cases you got on Mr. Kipling apple pies, that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, and even now, when I see one, it's it's still the first thing that springs into my mind. Not that you see many 120Ys around these days. But uh, so, yeah, it, that started to fascinate me. And then um, uh, I remember being, blimey, being wheeled around in a shopping trolley around a Presto supermarket in Sheffield. Uh, and I'd always uh, pester my parents to stop at the uh, end of one of the aisles where they had the matchbox cars hanging up and would mm. generally get one most times we went shopping um and from that i, w- I remember some of the first words i learned to read were the, the uh, model descriptions stamped into the die underneath the cars oh yeah yeah uh and then i remember that translating slowly into reading the badges on cars and I, it was certainly very very much preschool age where I could identify lots of different cars simply by the shapes and then recognizing the badges and being able to tell the differences between different trim levels and so on uh, back in those <laughs> days. And remember looking out for things like the the little gear Coronet logo on Granadas and, and that kind of thing. So it was very early on. Um, I suppose in one sense, my parents effectively uh, encouraged it by sort of buying the matchbox cars initially. Uh, but as I said before, neither of them were particularly interested but I, I do remember when i was maybe I'm trying to think maybe seven eight ish uh my mum was watching a, a very early-ish episode of top gear and uh i hadn't been aware there was a car program on the telly and i remember watching that so i think she she likes to claim uh <laughs> claim claim being the inspiration for my sad affliction i suppose um but yeah, as as I grew up and started, you know, that gradually metamorphosized into wanting to get magazines and slowly collect car sales brochures. And I remember that didn't go down quite so well because obviously the mags <laughs> were, were uh, they weren't cheap then. Obviously, and they're still not really cheap now either, um, relatively speaking. Um, so, uh, relatively small amount of pocket money. It wasn't always enough to buy the magazines and. You know, we didn't tend to go to car showrooms that often, really. Uh, mm. we, we had a 
my first my, my dad's first car that I remember. I think I was about seven when we got our first family car, and that was uh, a Volvo two four four. That, from memory, had been his ex boss's company car. Oh yeah. Um, so it wasn't as though we went. We were frequently going around car shows or car showrooms, that kind of thing. So. Uh, the interest was there, but I, I wasn't really sure how I could I could access it better. And it, it wasn't really until I was about 11, 12-ish, something like that, that I hit upon uh, further ways of, of starting to expand my then very, uh, very young collection of stuff. So um, as you got older, did you at any point think, you know, I want to get in the car industry somehow? I want to... I want to write the reviews or I'd like to, to sell cars or anything like that. Or were you just, was it just a, a great interest? To see that I, I always loathe to say this, particularly when it's, a, when it's, when we're from kids, but I think mm-hmm. it's the best way to describe it, but obsession mm-hmm. because yeah. when, when we're younger, we're so into something. Yes. That it is obsession, but not in a debilitating way. No, no. Uh, I don't think. I think, but, but um, with that obsession, did you think there was a, a way to do it as a career or anything? It's, it's, it's a funny one, really. Um, and, and you're completely right with the obsession word. Um, and there's, well, there's not really a day goes past where I, I sort of see my stuff or think about what I've got and, and think, yeah, I, I really should have grown out of this by the time I sort of hit 15, 16. And here I am now in my early 40s and I'm still adding to the collection and I can't really ever envisage stopping. Um, but to, to sound like a politician now wandering away from your question, um, but, but to go back to that... Um, <laughs> Do you know what? It's a really odd one in that I, I used to be fascinated uh, and held held the writers I, I used to enjoy reading in such high regard um, that I'd almost elevated them to a pedestal to mm. such a degree that it never even crossed my mind that that could be a career opportunity for me. Yeah. And the things that also detracted me away from writing as a career were that I didn't particularly enjoy studying English at school, uh, although I did it through to A-level. And, and it wasn't the fault of the teachers because I had some really inspirational English teachers. I just didn't really fall in love with the subject. And I think almost anything you do, regardless of of what it is and what your interests are, you're never going to really enjoy that career or pastime unless you're properly in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um so the writing never was really a consideration. Um, and I did have a fleeting idea that, you know what, I used to really enjoy reading the interviews with car designers. And that seemed a really sexy end of the uh, uh, the whole car industry. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, you get a uniform on day one of the yeah, neck, the metal do, glasses and the sock. I mean, it's, <laughs> that happens to all of them, doesn't very it? Very true, very true. <laughs> um, but I overlooked the fundamental problem that I was absolutely anything that involved some kind of drawing. Um, uh, yes, the old, so, the old problem of yeah. actual talent getting in the way of ambition. So I, I just sort of put the whole thing to one side. Um, and it, it just was not going to be a career that I would do. The, the magazines and the, the brochure collection, which 
properly started to accelerate when I was at university, actually. Um, it, it was an escapism. It was a way of finding something to do, essentially. It was a hobby. Was, yeah, very much so. And, it, you know, relatively low cost. Um, storage issue, certainly, which is still still the primary bugbear of it. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't something I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to make a career out of this. Um, and as it was, when I went to uni, I studied a fairly generic business course that majored heavily in marketing because that was the bit I enjoyed the most of the whole um, of that of that whole subject area. Um, and I had a, a vision of going into some kind of marketing career, which I did initially. I, I, I produced um, all the advertising material and... Uh, and promotional stuff for I realize this is going to sound incredibly odd for a firm that made a civilian version of various uh, bits of uh, covert surveillance equipment okay uh, uh, which which was was quite odd but it, it it was a job and you know it was my first post grad job so it was something I enjoyed doing for the time it didn't last especially long unfortunately because uh, the parent company, which was based overseas, pulled the financial plug, uh, and it, it sort of gradually wound down to a skeleton operation. Um, and I was made redundant as part of that. So I used that as an opportunity to move on to something else. Uh, again, marketing related, but it didn't, that didn't last too long because it, it was one of those where what I was perceiving as marketing actually turned out that I'd misunderstood the the meaning of what cold calling was. Um, so that was uh, a short-lived thing. And then at that point, I decided, well, do you know what? The the only thing I've ever really thought about doing uh, with any great seriousness was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the day that particular job came to an end, uh, that was when I applied to do a teacher training PGCE course, uh, which I did from the following September. Uh, and I ended up uh, after qualification, teaching at the same school for 11 straight years after that. And that was initially how I saw the rest of my working career uh, progressing uh, as in education. Um, but obviously it wasn't. Can I ask uh, what, what subject you were, you were teaching and, a, well, more, more importantly, first, sorry, the age and then, depending on the age, what the <laughs> particular subject was? Uh, age was secondary. Uh, oh, although principally, together. yeah, principally I was um, teaching 14 to 19 year olds and uh, the main subject was business studies. Uh, mm-hmm. But inevitably, um, because in many schools, there's not such a huge take up for business. Uh, it also involved various other things. So over the years, I also taught, uh, I mean, this is a test now, ICT, travel and tourism, public services, general studies, uh, there may well have been a few more that I've now forgotten. Um, and I was also the head of sixth form at the school for the last four and a half years, five years I was there. So it was it was a big job and one I really, really was in love with initially. Um, and then it petered out, which is, it's funny, I, I ought to be sad about, but because of what I'm doing now, I'm not. I'm, I miss elements of it, but uh, I know. I was going to say I have no hankering to go back, but it's more than that. I, I sort of look back and I can't believe I did it for so long, which uh, which is so. Yeah. In, in that timeline of mm. uh, uni through mm-hmm. uh, marketing 
uh, into teaching. Mm-hmm. At what point there did you think, oh, hang on, um, I quite like cars. There's this thing called the internet. Uh, maybe, maybe I could do something on cars now. It wasn't even quite that straightforward, actually. Um, I'd, I realised I'd got a reasonable knack for writing. Um, through, we, we used to have annual uh, presentation evenings for students' prizes and so on, and uh, GCSE and A-level results. And um, when I when I got the head of sixth form position, uh, part of that role's responsibility was to introduce the previous year's A-level students and do a bit of a speech. Um, and the, they had a tendency to be worthy and earnest, but not necessarily the most entertaining of things. So I thought, well, do you know what? <laughs> I, 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 I've been sat in the audience for these. I, I know how they, they could do with a little bit of livening up. So I attempted to introduce a bit of humour to them. And um, they seem to go down better each year. And um, it seemed to become, a, I wouldn't say a high point. It was maybe the, my personal high point of the evening. But uh, just getting through it, that was the, <laughs> that was the thing. Um, uh, for all I, for all teaching at the front of a classroom and delivering speeches and so on, and, and doing this job now where you're quite public facing, albeit from behind a monitor usually, and corresponding with people over social media, I'm, I'm naturally very shy and and do often struggle to sort of figure out how I should be. Um, when I'm normally very conscious of myself and thinking, God, I'm, you know, I'm going to make a hash of this, whatever I'm doing. So. Uh, yeah, so that that sort of writing element came in there, um, and I'd I was trying to think now what, how the sequence of the things worked. So yeah, that was hanging on, and I was constantly thinking, well, I've got this mountain of paper of car-related stuff that I could be very useful for something, and I was remembering all sorts of odd useless facts that really didn't help me at all. Um, and I'd often bring in car-related anecdotes to use in business studies teaching, which. I'm sure you used to bore the arses off the vast majority of the kids I used to teach. Um, but they're largely too polite to say, well, although I suppose if they were asleep, they probably wouldn't be able to say anything anyway. Um, uh, and then it was one day in particular. Um, I, I, I won't go into too much detail about who or what exactly had gone on, but I, I found myself um, in a senior colleague's office um, at the receiving end of something of a rollicking for, for something that I didn't think was all that serious. And I suddenly thought, am I suddenly not really taking the job seriously or, or, or what? But I thought there's got to be something better than me then in my mid-30s sat getting moaned at by somebody 20 years my senior thinking both of us have got better things to do with our time than this. Um, and I long had an idea for a book uh, with a working title of A to Z of Cars of the 1990s. Uh, and there was a series of other A to Z books covering different decades. And I remember, weirdly, from actually during the 90s, thinking that would be a good idea for the book. But, you know, obviously time would need to pass for it to be something that people would be interested in. It's a slow burner. Yeah, very slow burner. <laughs> Um, so that night I, I got home and I thought, right, I've absolutely no idea where to start. How do I go about trying to convince a publisher that they maybe ought to consider a book idea from me coming out of absolutely nowhere? And the only advice I could find online was, 
advice on how to produce a novel or, or a submission for a novel proposal, rather. Um, so I doctored two or three of those, uh, contacted ooh, 20 maybe automotive book publishers. Uh, and unsurprisingly, I heard back from about half of them. Um, uh, and the, it was, all of them seemed did respond, seemed quite interested, but from the point of view of, you know, well, with all due respect, we've no idea who you are. Um, <laughs> and um, But we like the idea and so on. Um, so they, they were all no's, barring one. Um, and this one came back and said, we really like this idea. Could you send us some samples of your work and I'm suddenly thinking oh bloody hell you know, now this has got a bit more serious because yeah. uh, is this, is this I, I've obviously someone on business yeah. studies or is <laughs> because you know I, I'd had the idea not really expecting anything to happen and suddenly I was having to produce a sample of how the book might look and feel <laughs> um, so I, I quickly cobbled together this sample and to my amazement um, the whole start to finish process for me contacting these publishers to getting a contract was six weeks wow. um, uh, which which blew my mind, frankly, because um, I still couldn't understand how it happened. Um, the sad bit of all this is, is I never did finish the book, <laughs> mainly because I'd started off thinking this could be a nice avenue of breaking into an industry that I'd hitherto thought was completely beyond me. Um, mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, unfortunately for the book and the various people who promised to buy one, um, I, which I still feel like I've let people down to a degree. Um, my career went faster than the production of the book to the point where it just ended up where I wasn't really going to have the time to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, as in a, inevitable with a lot of these things, somebody else beat me to it anyway. So there is actually a book of that title out now. Um, oh, dear. Uh, which, you know, I, I would urge people to read and, uh, and uh, see what they think of it. Is is what I'll say about that. But it's uh, it's I'm looking at it now on my bookshelf, so it's it's not as if I've not got a copy. But um, yeah, it's there. So uh, and so that was that, and that would be in around July 2010, and I started doing the work over it in that school summer holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it was November that year. Uh, a former colleague suggested that Twitter's a good way, a good new way back then of, of spreading one's message across and getting to know like-minded people. Um, so I established a Twitter account and gradually built up a small number of followers. And the idea was mainly to promote the idea of the book. And what I was doing while I was doing the research for the book, I'd end up doing little Twitter quizzes of little facts and figures that I'd found out or reminded myself of. Um, from the research and and sharing these on Twitter and this would go on for hours and and I was finding I was spending more time doing the quizzes than I was doing the research which again was maybe the first sign that I wasn't going to get this done um (laughs) apologies to Hannah if you're listening who was my wonderful editor at the time who kept trying to control me to do something and I constantly let her down anyway um I'm sure she's forgiven me hopefully um and during that time I'd uh, come across on Twitter uh, uh, someone who, who's still a friend of mine who's a, a journalism lecturer at Lincoln Uni. And um, she seemed quite interested in what I was doing and or 
was probably just thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? Rather interested. But I got chatting to her about, um, did she have any potential uh, undergrad students who might be interested in coming in, talking to my then sixth formers who could be interested in a career in journalism? Mm-hmm. And a short story uh, from that was she sent two guys over, one uh, who I believe is now a football writer at the Mail, something like that. I know he's, he's been around a few household name papers, but it's certainly a football writer. And the other was somebody who was on the brink of becoming a car journalist. And I thought this is just uh, an opportunity to, too good to be missed. Um, so I sat in on his session. So has anyone got any questions? Yes, yeah. Uh, so I, I sat there <laughs> listening very intently to what this guy was saying. Um, and uh, he started talking about how as part of their undergrad course, they had to do a blog to basically act as a shop window for their talents. Mm-hmm. So this would have been uh, March, start of March 2011, I think it was. And uh, I said to him afterwards, I said, you know, I'm fascinated, but I, I've no idea where to start running a blog. It's something beyond my scope of reference. So, I've, you know, and he said, well, if you're interested, why don't you write a piece for me? Uh, and we'll see how it goes. And uh that that chap was Darren Moss, who's now deputy oh, editor yeah. at Whatcar. Okay. Uh, so I I owe Darren also a huge debt of gratitude for helping me in, and I wrote a piece for Darren, and he very graciously told me it was one of the most popular things he'd ever had on his site at the time. Um, and I thought, well, do you know what? If if I'm going to try and remotely use this as a serious thing, I need to be writing for myself, not for somebody else. Mm. Um, and, and I need to use it as my shop window. So initially, I'd had this notion of setting up the blog just to develop my writing style a little bit and also promote the book and effectively keep it like a proper blog of an update about how the book was developing. Um, but it very quickly uh, became a situation where, again, through using social media, I started getting offered cars to review from manufacturers, um, only a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to then use that handful to widen the scope. And um, from the September in 2011, so bear in mind, I was still teaching at this point. I used to get the cars delivered to the school reception where they, the woman there would, would very kindly do the key handover for me. Um, <laughs> this went on from September 2011 all the way through to June 2013 when I, when I left the profession. Um, so very conscious I was I was in an incredibly privileged position that a lot of people who are seasoned pros in the PR world uh, took quite a leap of faith offering me cars to well lending me cars to review rather than offering me them. Um, and obviously during that time I was able to build up something of a reputation um, f- with with you know, again seasoned journalists who who seemed to like what I was doing and um, well, so much so lo- that um, well, perhaps um, there, were, there, there may have been an award somewhere in there. There, there, there was, Jones, yeah, there was, there was. Uh, yeah, the uh, Richard Orcock at the time was the uh, the chair of the Guild of Motoring Writers and was somebody I'd got to know um, again via social media. It was very strange because I seem to know a lot of people, but actually I'd met very few of them in real life. Um, uh, I know that feeling. Thank you, Twitter. <laughs> yes, and Richard. Uh, uh, during conversation, uh, announced that he was uh, pushing for this this breakthrough blogger award, 
Um, and I thought, that, that sounds right up my street. But equally, I'm aware from the position I was that there were other very talented bloggers also uh, also looking to, to break through. Um, it was a bit of a year that year. It, it was, it was. And, um, you know, it's, it's still, I still feel very humbled um, that uh, I was principally up against uh, Petrol blog of, of uh, Gavin Braithwaite-Smith's um, creation, which is mm. a site I adored and, and still still enjoy dipping into with great regularity. So, um, and Gavin and I had become, oh, again, it sounds awfully naft, doesn't it? But we'd become social media friends, I suppose, without actually mm. meeting each other. You know, we met a few each other a few times since, but uh, uh, certainly not as much as I would have liked. Since. Yeah, as I say, it, it was a site I I adored reading. But it was it was something I was able to use as a springboard, career-wise, um, and it, and I decided to myself. So that that was Christmas time, or just before Christmas, twenty twelve. And I decided, right, I've I've really got twelve months to maximise this, and if I can't get into the industry in some kind of full-time capacity within that twelve months, then it's not going to happen. So so the idea definitely was, look, I'm not going to do it on my on the back of my own site. I want to be employed by someone or was it how far can I take this site? It, it was definitely the former. Okay. I'd, I'd never tried to monetize the old site and mm-hmm. I, I'd done enough digging and asked enough people enough questions to figure out that it was going to be virtually impossible to try and go straight into freelance or something like that. I'd had some freelancing opportunities via Alex Goya XCAR, which I was very grateful for, but Ultimately, it wasn't going to be enough to be able to get the career properly started. Uh, And I'd done a few little bits and bobs with local publications in Lincolnshire. But I knew I needed to either get into something full-time, in reality, as I say, that the freelance from from day one wasn't really going to work, I didn't think. Um, Now, in the run-up to the award, I'd had a bit of contact and advice from Jim Holder of uh, Haymarket fame. And... Uh, he very kindly dropped me a line after the award and and said, uh, uh, I probably, well, not that he said anything bad at all, remotely bad, but I, I, I won't share the, the direct content of his, his email. But basically, he the message was, you know, writing for yourself is one thing. Writing for a title is, is a completely different issue. And I was craving for some kind of opportunity to write for somebody. Um and he offered me the opportunity to write a used car buying guide for a BMW X3, which was something I'd not done before. Uh, and the gist was, if it's good, we'll sub it, obviously, and I was assuming quite heavily, and use it. And um, and if it's not, then I'll explain to you in detail how to, how to improve things. And that seemed like a very fair deal to me. Um, and it was, again, something I took very seriously, planned myself straight into it, uh, got the words off before the deadline. And Wait, Sorry, just to, just, um, to, to let the, mm. uh, the uninitiated know, uh, and myself, Okay, <laughs> are you given a very strict brief? I mean, obviously they've said, this is the subject, this is what it's to, to do. Are you given a, a mm-hmm. is it strict down to, it must be this number of words, this is the structure we want, you know, so there's a, an opening bit, then there's the, you know, the various, you know, if you, if you look at a typical, say it was autocar, it, um, mm-hmm. autocar has a very uh, scripted way they like to do a review. You know, do they give yeah. you that framework to work in as well? 
Is that how it, ha- it, it happened in that instance? But it was very prescriptive in terms of the words count and, you know, you need to have an intro, then you need to talk about the cars, the things to look for and things to, you know, what should buyers be particularly conscious of if they were considering one of these and then some form of rounding up. But there was, that was it. It was, it was clear enough to know exactly what you had to produce, but there was still a lot of flexibility and freedom in order to, well, I suppose not necessarily true me up or anybody that matter who's writing one of those but it's, it's a way of sort of sorting out people who can do it and who can't i guess well, it gives you the opportunity to make it yours as well to, yeah to, to a degree although obviously within yeah, the yeah, familiar also yeah, car yeah, format yeah. um but yeah there was there were no like here's some suggested numbers of people you could ring up to talk about it or anything mm. like that so uh, which i appreciated um it, it was a proper in at the deep end here you go uh, which I realised that if I was going to get into the industry, there would be moments where, in fact, more than moments, there'll be lots of lots of times where you're you're thrown into the deep end and you've got to do something quickly and and do all the research and everything and get get an article turned around. Mm. It's one of the aspects of the job I relish. Um, but yes, I was I was thoroughly pleased a few weeks later when it appeared in the magazine um, with very few changes at all. Oh, actually, so. It was, uh, and again, that was that was something that was conversely also uh, instrumental in me getting the job at Parker's as well, because the the, the then editor we were conscious that oh, well, hang on, somebody else is, appears that maybe they're interested in too. So um, yeah, that was that was helpful yeah. inadvertently. Yeah. So, and how long was it um, after the award before you were working at Parker's? I got the award in December 12th, and I was issued for the pay in April the following year, in May. And um, again, very, very grateful to my former boss, stroke head teacher at the time, who the norm within the teaching profession for people of, of sort of the level of seniority I'd go up to was to give a notice. Um, obviously, he realised I was leaving the profession and, and there wasn't really any effort in, in him sort of trying to keep me at the school longer. Mm. Um, so he... he very kindly let me go after after four weeks, which was good. And so I was able to start. And I remember thinking at the time, this is going to be odd because I'm going to be at my new job three weeks and all my old colleagues are going to be off for their six weeks of a break. But weirdly, it's one of those things you don't quite appreciate until you're not in it. Now I do this job, I, I almost don't feel I need holiday much at all. Whereas when I was teaching, it was like, you really know you need that week off in the Hudson's and the two weeks off at other times of the year as well as the long summer. So I haven't genuinely, it sounds ridiculous, I hand on heart haven't missed the long holidays at all. And it's nearly four years now. Well, it's approaching four years since I, I left the profession. Oh, that's because you, so. you live the jets, uh, the uh, the high life now, because you've been jetted off here, there and everywhere to uh, yeah, champagne yeah. receptions, um, people throwing rose petals in front of you as you walk up to a new car and go, well, you know what? I don't like the cut of your jib car. I'm not going to... Because that's yes, exactly that's what certainly... it's like. <laughs> it is. It is it's, 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 I, I find it amusing. I can understand why people think that must be what it's like, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's sadly not that glamorous. Um, and quite often it's just a, a, a group of predominantly guys, predominantly approaching middle age, shuffling about in airport lounges, waiting for the PR person to point them in the right direction of which plane to get on and at what time, which gate to be at, and yeah, so on. So. Please hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's very odd. The odd moments now when you're at an airport and you've, you've been separated from the party and you suddenly think, can I remember how to read the signs to get to the plane I'm supposed to be getting on? So, but, 
you, you do feel utterly hopeless because you are you, you are spoof fed all the way from the, the airport car park all the way to the plane and back though which I'm very grateful for because it does reduce the amount of thinking time you have to spend on things like that and you can concentrate on uh, getting your thoughts together about the car you're, you're reviewing and so on mm. so yes I am very grateful for that but it's it's uh, there's about five percent of the glamour I suspect that most people imagine is actually there and don't get me wrong we get to go to some Fabulous places, some amazing hotels, eat far too much tremendous food, drive a diverse range of cars from the okay to the absolutely superb. Um, but you're, you know, the whole point is you're first and foremost there to try and understand what the car's all about and be able to convert that, those initial thoughts into, uh, reviews for whichever titles I'm writing for, which is Parker's and, and uh, a web drive for Car Magazine as well, in in fairly short order. You know, there's, there's, there's quick turnarounds for these things. And, and obviously, if, if you've delved into a Parker's review recently, you, you, they're not the work of a moment. But in reality, we've not got much more than a moment to get them done. So yeah. again, it's, it's, it's a pressure, definitely. Of course, it's a pressure to do that and to turn the, the copy around in a way that's engaging and informative and uh, in, in a way that doesn't condescend people, but equally as accessible for the type of non-enthusiast buyers that Parker's readers tend to be. Mm. But it's because the rest of the job doesn't feel pressured. It, it's it, I still, you know, I'm, I'm, as I say, nearly four years in, and I'm still wake up every morning pinching myself because I still can't quite believe I'm able to drive cars and write about them as a job. It just doesn't seem like it should be happening to me somehow. I was going to ask you, um, you have you have answered it for me now already, but I was going to ask you if you still enjoy it. Uh, and I think maybe is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, well, as I say, I, I was just dawned on me, it's, uh, it's Geneva again, uh, week after next, as, as, as we're talking. And um, sorry, I've just caused you a bit of an editing no, problem no, there, because it's going to go afterwards. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I still I still get that buzz going round um, that I did when I first went round the NEC back in 1988. Albeit I'm not laden down with weak carry bags full of brochures these days. It's uh, it's uh, just just grabbing phone pictures and emailing them back and uploading them to social media. But I still very much get that buzz out of seeing new cars and tweaked cars and so on and you know catching up with now dozens of people you, you quickly get to know in the, because it's quite a community both with the pr side and and the other journalism side so it's uh, yeah it's i i really enjoy them um and it's uh it still feels very much like a privilege to be able to go to these events and part of it and I, I I can't imagine i'll i'll ever lose that i might I might be tempting fate but um like <laughs> It's, it's it feels yeah it really works for me that kind of thing excellent well i think this is a good time to take a slight change attack and um mm -hmm. delve into your you're not gonna ask what the initials stand for no 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 no, no it's okay I, I, I don't want to clone your passport or anything <laughs> um no i'm gonna ask uh, about your car history and i'm gonna start out with asking when you passed your test and uh, what was your first car after passing your test? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is where maybe the myth falls down a bit <laughs> because it's... Uh, you're going to tell us you don't actually have a test uh, if you've not passed at all. 
all these years have been a lie. I've, I've been undone by this one question. <laughs> uh, well, a truthful answer is I passed on the third go. And okay. uh, not that I'm embarrassed about that search. I'm, I'm more embarrassed about the circumstances that I do it. So I, I started, I had my first driving license like most people do on the 17th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, I'd already understood the fundamentals of what I was supposed to do. Um, but I didn't have a very good relationship with the driving instructor at the time. I, I was keen to sort of put myself in for a test. Uh, and he was, oh, no, 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 you need to do this. And the other, you've got lots more to learn. And I thought, well, you know, ultimately he's the expert. And I put myself in for, well, eventually got put in for a test and uh, made a stupid mistake within the first 200 yards, <laughs> uh, which... Uh, which meant the examiner, basically I was heading for a roundabout and decided that gap was big enough to get through. Uh, and the examiner decided it wasn't and jammed the brakes on oh, and therefore I got I got a failure on a dangerous drive thing. Uh, so that was that. You don't need both wing mirrors, you're all right. I know, I know. <laughs> Second one was about six weeks later, I think, something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit longer. But anyway, not not too too much longer. And I made a fatal error of I knew I was doing really well in the test, and I just happened to glance down at the examiner's clipboard as we were heading back to the test centre, oh and I saw that I'd got a, literally three minor faults. That was it. I thought, great, I've done it. Not going to screw this up now. Headed back to the test centre, pulled up, uh, and he asked me the questions from the highway code. Answered those. I knew I'd got those correct. And he went, I'm very sorry to tell you, you've not passed. And I went, I was completely uh, floored by this, thinking, well, hang on, five minutes ago, what have I done? Uh, And his reasoning was that he decided I'd driven too cautiously back to the test centre. Oh, yeah. And and it just gave me a straight X on, I can't remember which one it was. And I went, oh. But anyway, I was so despondent with it. Uh, I thought, Joe, what, I'm just going to start having driving lessons. Uh, And I, I didn't have any more lessons for... Ooh, pro- probably best part of nine months. Uh, then I started up with a different um, different instructor and was put in from a test very quickly again and then passed that. So I was uh, I was still 18, but I was almost nearly 19 by the time I'd actually passed. And then because my, my parents had cars, and because, <laughs> because I thought, Joe, you know what, I might as well drive theirs rather than spend my own money. I, wise, I didn't actually wise. buy my own car until I was... Ooh, 25. Okay. And it was a very cheap, very basic spec Peugeot 309. Uh, it was a GE five-door 1.3. Not a dreadful car. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, Shouldn't have been it, a dreadful so, car. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was so basic. That, you know, it was the spec that didn't even have a clock. It had a blank where the clock oh, would go, let alone a ref ah, counter. Right, okay. Um, and I remember parking it one day in the bright sunshine and not thinking anything more of it, and then got back in, and this nasty, thin steering wheel oh. had got so hot oh. that when I touched it, it blistered the palm of my hand. Oh. So, sob story over. But yeah, my, my car history from then got slightly random. Uh, I'll point out as well, I've, I've not ever spent more than £5,000 all of these, and, and I'd only done that once, so my, all these were significantly cheaper. So from the Peugeot, I progressed to Sierra Estate 1.8 LX, a friend of mine who was a painter and decorator was selling. Um, had that for a little while. Around the same time, I also bought a Mazda 3.2, the shape that ran from 89 with the pop-up headlights. Oh, I like that. Which I suppose oh, was quite cool at the time. Like yeah, I was quite fascinated with it, but it had no end of electrical. But then again, it was it was 350 quid off eBay, so 
I suppose I should have had too high expectations. Uh, And I sold it on to a colleague who ran it for even longer than I owned it. Um, But I kept the Sierra. It was quite a good workhorse until I was actually going to spend a bit more money and buy something a bit more decent, uh, which was when I indulged my uh, passion for the first time in hydro-pneumatic suspended Citroëns. And I bought a uh, 1999 XM V6. I'm so jealous. I, I adored. The only thing I didn't particularly like about it was it was the uh, metallic magenta color but it was the best one i could find at the time so that was that was all and i I fell in love with the spec and the engine and the electric sensor armrest all those clear essentials that you need um but yeah i ran that for a while for a while and then i started having a little phase of buying cars to gently do up nothing sort of too serious because i'm i've really got any mechanical (laughs) understanding at all so it was just little trim things and things like that i could do so i had uh Ooh, a 92 limited edition Jaguar XJ Gold, mm-hmm. uh, which which actually I really like. It's a shame to see that go. And I still see it on the road in Lincoln even now. Um, it must be a good 10 years on since I got rid of that. Uh, had an MGF for a bit. Um, Brave. Sold mm-hmm. the... Yeah. <laughs> I agree though. But I'm, I'm sure it was well, probably died off to head gasket fairly since, but it was fine while I had it. I sold the XM and bought a Alpha Watt Six, okay. which I wanted to love, but I didn't love it quite as much as I wanted to. And I think I'd got used to that comfy, cusseting French wallowy ride that the Alpha clearly didn't have. <laughs> yes. uh, so I sold it on very quickly and bought a oh a, a V6 engine Xantia, okay. which I found out from Citroen at the time was the only black one that had been built in right-hand drive with a cream interior, which um, I've, I've always been stereotypical old fart. So any car I see now with beige leather and wood in the interior, I'm immediately drawn to. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Rovers, are, Rover 75s are now in fear. <laughs> I, I I would I would love a seventy five. I've still not got around to owning one of those. And and I should say, even before I get to my car list, I've I've now not owned a car embarrassingly for four years. Well, having access to so much that I don't think I'd actually drive a car of my own that much if if I had one. But I keep I, this hankering of I need something. I need to have something that I can say is mine. But um, yeah, not going around to that. Uh, kept the Xantia for a while until an even better XM came up. Sorry, even better Which, than the uh, V6 black, one of a kind with the with yeah, the, yeah, you know, creamy interior. It, it was I, okay. I, this this is going to be impressive then. The, the Xantia was good. The Xantia was good, but the XM was uh, okay. It felt more uh, traditional Citroen. I think I'd I'd have an XM over a Xantia myself, but yeah, gorgeous silver one came up again, same spec as the one I had before. Slightly newer. It was well mid two thousand cars. It must have been one of the last ones made, certainly in right and drive. Uh, so I had that, and I kept that for ages, uh, well, about ages, relatively speaking. I had it for about 18 months, and I took it for service. And it, XMs have uh, problems with their electric window mechanisms. They often snap and need replacing. Oh, right. and although it's a DIY job, it was, it was beyond the scope of abilities. So I bought a couple of window regulators. It needed a new catalytic converter. It was having a full service and gearbox oil change and various options. I had a call from the the, the specialist garage I used. Um, who'd, he said he'd be 
days, and after a week of running around in his courtesy base spec non-turbo diesel Zara, <laughs> I'd sort of thought, something's funny going on here. And I rang him up and just asked what was going on. And he went, oh, yeah, you should be able to have the car back tomorrow. Uh, we, we've we capped your bill at £1,500. <laughs> at which point, I, uh, yeah, after I picked myself back up off the floor, it was, um, I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to keep this forever. That was that was my initial yes. thing. I need to keep it, keep it long enough to... I have to get to, my money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to spread, spread that cost across. Um, and barely a couple of months after that, my, my stepfather, who's uh, who runs a wedding car business, mentioned in passing that he was looking to offload his uh, 1980 Rolls-Royce Silver Spirit. Oh, there's no need for that to be to be told. No. Is there? Oh. I know there wasn't. There wasn't really because it, it made me think, ooh. Uh, I don't like the XM anymore. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly that. Uh, and I thought, well, can I can I really can I? Re-? He only wanted three grand for the rolls, which, oh. which, on reflection, was you know the old adage of if something sounds too cheap to be true, it's 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 probably not all it seems. Um, yes, again, long story short, I on a whim on the basis he'd said I could have first refusal on the rolls. Sold the XM very quickly for more than I'd asked for it. Bizarrely, um, oh, excellent! That, that's I, yeah. I do like it. If if okay, you you've not come out at a profit because you've just had a huge bill. Yes, but, yes. But if we ignore trifling details <laughs> like keeping it running, yeah, the original yeah. price. I do like it when I can hear someone said, "Yeah, I I got more than I bought it for." I thought that happens so rarely. You sort of go, it's a yes, little punch in the much. air and go, "Well done, brother! You've you've, you've won." Most of us lose, but you've won there. <laughs> my my one and only time, and I'm sure I could I could own dozens of cars in the future, and it'd still be the one and only time. But um, yes, yeah, so I thought right, I'm 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 on the brink of getting a Rolls now, uh, uh, and unfortunately, the car hadn't been MOT'd. So um, I said, I said, right, so I'll put it through the MOT and we'll, be fine. we'll take it from there. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the garage recommended breaking it for spares, oh. which was heartbreaking because I <laughs> was now not getting this rolls. I was certainly never going to find another one for that price. And uh, which explained also why that one was, wasn't that dear either. Um, but obviously, I just sold the car that I didn't really want to sell. Uh, and I tried persuading the guy initially that maybe he didn't want to buy it, but he was adamant he did want to buy it. And uh, I didn't want to renege on the deal. Um, so I, I honoured that. And I thought, right, I need to look for something else. Um, and I ended up sort of on a whim as well, buying um, an E38 type of BMW 7 Series. It was only a 728i. Because uh, you know, as much Only. as I wanted a V8, <laughs> well, as much as I wanted a V8 740, I couldn't justify spending that sort of cash on uh, on my it's daily commute as a teacher. Spent a load of money on a not <laughs> existing car. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I found this this nice glacier green. 728i which which uh, wowed me even more because not only were the seats beige leather there was the dashboard moldings were also beige as well and there was plenty of wood and i think it had been specced up to about 45 grand this thing when it was new back in 99 but um yeah, but you, you, right, for, okay you've gone for beige but you've got kids uh, yeah yeah oh, but it was leather so it wiped out yeah, well, okay there is that yes there is <laughs> <laughs> yes at least at least you've gone down the leather route yes yeah yeah, yeah. um and for all i never never really fell in love with it it ended up slightly 
bizarrely been the car I held on to the longest. So, and it so was, why didn't you... Was it just too clinical? Yeah, yeah. Compared to the Citroëns and even the Alpha, it was, it was, it was very accomplished. And it's the sort of thing now where if I was advising somebody who wasn't really into cars, you know, oh, I, I'm looking for an old big barge with a decent engine and so on. I'd, I'd probably recommend one to somebody straight away, but I, I've got no hankering after owning one again. Although, in terms of the elegance, I still think it's probably the the most beautiful. 7 Series BMW's ever produced. What year was it again, sorry? Uh, that's a, it was a 99. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I just, love just, just that the uh, Just post-facelift mine was with the little sort of half-moon headlights mm-hmm. cut into the uh, the, the bodywork shape filler uh, just below the, the headlight unit. So, yeah, it, it was a pretty car, superbly made. Engineering was fantastic. Um, and it even had the... It was one of the ones with the TV system built into the dashboard as well, oh, which, right, you okay. know... I'd obviously been on the market five years before then as well, but it was uh, it still looked quite cool back in the ooh the yeah, twenty twenty ten when I bought that. But um, yeah, it's uh, I've not seen it since it's gone, but I no hankering after owning another one. Mm-hmm. If uh, but uh, yeah, I yeah, don't. but you were the uh, you were the transporter for a while. <laughs> it was a seven series in the first one, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, never really thought about that before. The the the, the association so some of the students. Yeah, well, no, I suppose I know Pierce Brosnan. The, <laughs> the the only association any of the students had with any of the cars I had was was the Silver XM, and I couldn't get my head around how several of them thought it was a DeLorean. No wonder you brought up cars in, in your lessons <laughs> to try and educate them. This is how not to run a business and, and failed <laughs> failed dismally. By DeLorean, look here is a DeLorean, mm. not my car. Here is a DeLorean. <laughs> So you that's the one you've kept you kept hold of the longest. Yeah, I think that was two yeah, two and a half years I had that. Mm. And what what did you move and, and well you're almost at Parker's then, aren't you? It was yeah, it it was six months before. And the only reason I got rid of it at the time was um I say I was I was spending money uh on tax and so on and insurance and I was barely driving it because quite often I, I well as I say every week I had a, a press car in and I was so determined to make sure I was doing a good job with the press cars I was going to drive them as much as possible and use them as effectively as my car for the week and mm. make sure I, I felt like I knew them inside out to build up my own knowledge bank as well as writing the review from my old blog site but um my own car just got neglected and, and on the odd times where I think oh, I'll take that for a drive tonight um, the battery gone flat so I couldn't drive it yeah. uh, I just thought this is this is getting silly um, and it was a risk I suppose because obviously if, if the press cars had dried up which they could well have done um, then I'd have been somewhat stuck and needed to buy something else anyway but uh, yeah I've, I've still I still as I said earlier regret not having anything now uh, and my eldest is um he turned 17 this November, which makes me feel even older. But obviously, uh, I'm hoping, because my, my kids have zero interest in cars whatsoever, but I'm hoping by the time he starts driving himself that he might start showing some interest and I can persuade him that he might fancy something interesting that I can also drive too. But I fear I'm going to lose out on that one. <laughs> I think you may have to bribe with, you may have to bribe with, uh, look, I'll pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> All, all I get at the minute, if I show him something that vaguely interests me that I've seen on eBay or one of the classified ads, I just, just get the occasional eye roll. So, uh, 
Oh, duh. The cards yeah. again. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So we, we've mm. gone through the history and um, I am uh, I am suitably impressed with that history. Not that it matters whether I am or not, but because uh, <laughs> it, it is what it is. But I know I'm, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of the Citroens. Uh, I've been very vocal on that. Uh, I was lucky enough growing up that my uh, my dad had a, uh, a CX uh-huh. Safari. Um, I remember going. I remember going um, Lincolnshire Way uh, to to the seaside. Probably about February. <laughs> it's, it's probably as warm in February as it is in the summer. <laughs> and and him having to use the uh, hydromatic to get us through <laughs> floods while other people in cars <laughs> watch this snot-nosed 10-year-old sort of waving at them as we went past. <laughs> so if, if anybody listening was in one of those cars, I do apologise. I must have been a right git. <laughs> but as a 10-year-old, it was amazing. It was one of those. It was like you were in a, on a sofa and, and mm-hmm. you were in a different postcode from your parents. Or it felt yes. like that anyway. See, now, that would appeal to me as a kid. When I had my XMs, it used to make my kids travel sick. Oh, I know. I don't remember getting travel sick in the uh, CX. No. no. Uh, uh, it's probably my driving rather than the car. I shouldn't blame the car. <laughs> no, it was the road surfaces. Road mm. surfaces, that's all it was. Yeah. Just too much <laughs> for the suspension. So, uh, we've, we've gone through your car history, which I, which I liked mm-hmm. uh, and endorsed thoroughly. And we've got to the point now in uh, your career that um, you started your own blog. What was the name of that blog for anyone that, was, that, that doesn't know? Initially, it was just my name with the middle initials, um, obviously. Obviously, it has to be an all-written, all-written documentation. <laughs> which, I, I was, I was using, which I was using, as, again, as this shot window thing of... There was no escaping who it was behind the your blog. Portfolio my own name. Was that was your portfolio was very clearly your portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> and then after I won the Guild Award, I changed it to Petroleum Vitae, which I thought was quite a clever little play on words, but mm-hmm. maybe not in reality. Um, <laughs> and the idea was then that uh, I'd... I suppose it's funny, really. I'd already started making a mental decision that it'd be quite nice to invite other people to write for it, which a few people did at the time. Um, and also from did the point of view of... Did you edit their work? It, I did, so yeah. You, so you were adding editing to on top of uh, writing and incredibly detailed knowledge uh, as well. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose I, was, I didn't really think of it that way, but yeah, yeah, I suppose I was. Yeah, and the, the other part aspect of it was that I thought, well, if I am fortunate enough to be able to progress into a full-time role, then it allows somebody else to take over the site without it being emblazoned with my name all over it. It was more yeah. generic. Yeah. So the, the site still exists as Petroleum Vitae, uh, and it's still uh, uh, run under the auspices of uh, Ollie Hammond, who... Uh, he uses it as a vehicle, pardon the pun, to um, to promote his work. Excellent. Well, we'll have uh, links into the show notes, uh, in the show notes for that. You were writing your own website whilst teaching as well, which mm-hmm. um, isn't the, oh, how can I put this, um, isn't known for, for its lack of paperwork and preparation, shall we say. If anyone is thinking about getting into uh, starting a blog or something like that on the side, can you give them an idea of how much time it was, it was taking? 
apart from all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to rack my brains a little bit now because it, it does seem, although it wasn't that long ago, really, it does, it does feel it like another a distant life, memory. Wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose it was really. Um, I suppose at the time, typically, I was doing 60 hours a week teaching, obviously not not all of that in in the school building but overall with all the planning and prep and and everything else that goes along with it uh crikey so Uh, so, okay let's try and let's try and break it down a little bit then if you've got a you've got a car for a week mm -hmm. that's been dropped off at the school Mm -hmm. you drive home in it that night typically you say that you're driving it every day so that you know you're getting a feel for it you're doing you're, you're using it in typical conditions that you yeah. know so you can say yeah. well actually it feels different in this part and blah 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 mm-hmm. how i'm presuming you would then take it out for a few other drives that were outside of your normal commute and oh yeah things because you want to take it for a long run and you want to you've got That's a particular right. route perhaps you like to hurtle them around mm-hmm. corners and go god this thing doesn't go around corners or or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is and then there's that particular empty car park you used to find um to take <laughs> your pictures i do remember you see <laughs> that, that was at the school was at the school yeah yeah <laughs> you had the key for a sunday did you it's funny, actually, I've forgotten about that as well because that that almost became a little phenomenon in its own right. Bizarre. I, I would I would yeah. flick on Twitter and be going, ah, there he is. <laughs> People would get quite angry if I hadn't posted a picture of the car, if I hadn't popped out during my lunch to move it to that particular spot, or if I got to that particular spot and it was occupied, and I'd have to do it later in the day. I'd, I'd get some quite angry direct messages from people asking, "What are you doing? Why was driving? Where's the car this week?" Yeah, for goodness' sake, think of your fans. Uh-huh. Think of your fans who give you no money whatsoever for what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right, so you're you're taking you you've got the car. Obviously, you've yeah. got to do uh, a few hours just in the car to yeah. get a full feeling for it. How long mm-hmm. would it take you to write a review on that? Ooh, quite a while when I first started off, and and the reviews I used to do on the site were. Uh, not what my SEO colleagues would call optimized, certainly, because <laughs> I used to tend to make them around two and a half, three thousand words of, of prose with usually a hell of a lot of waffle and tangents thrown in. Um, I certainly didn't write as tightly then as I do now. But obviously, it was more of a self indulgent thing then, I suppose. I, I was just. Well, you, oh, you, you, you were con- using the um, you were using the constraints that you had worked out for yourself at the time. Yeah, which I suppose were literally, and it sounds ridiculous when I think back, I was, I was essentially writing something I would like to read if it was me, mm. uh, and just in the hope other people might come along, which, which you know, according to the figures at the time, you know, 20 or thousand people a month typically were, which, you know, aren't huge numbers, but considering I was coming from nowhere and it was just a little me in, a, in, in my little corner of the internet doing my thing it was it was quite heartening to know that that many people were interested thank you very much (laughs) but yeah uh, so you're right I I did used to drive around a hell of a lot just just to get used to the car and I did devise a an unofficial test route if you like around Lincoln that I, I still use now so whichever car I've got that weekend uh, and sometimes during the week as well, if I fancy just going out for a drive in an evening, I, I still do the exact same route now um, because it loops to where I well, so where I live now is sort of slightly off the loop, but it's, it's near enough to get to. Um, 
So yeah, it's, it's still a good reference point from that point of view. But yeah, I probably typically drive six to 10 hours a week, depending on how much school stuff I've got to do. I'd probably be out photographing for an hour, hour and a half-ish. I, I, I wasn't particularly good. Not that I'm great now, but I wasn't particularly good then. So it wasn't so much a case of needing to be out ages doing that. And um, probably spend two and a half to three hours writing, writing those two and a half thousand words um, and giving it a quick sub myself and then popping it live. So, yeah, it was, it was quite a chunk out of the week thinking about it. Probably... 15 hours ish on top of what I was doing teaching and that was that was only if I did a review of the car if I did anything else then yeah that was obviously extra yeah yeah plus all the social media stuff to promote it and and everything that the associated things that go along with that yeah yeah so it's um I mean as as anybody would appreciate if you're doing something on the side you have to sacrifice things like tv Mm -hmm. and seeing friends yeah and Family, perhaps. I, I don't have any friends, like that. so that was easy. So, okay, family then. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, because this is—it's um, it, something I knew was going to happen because uh, we run our own business here, and I knew mm-hmm. taking uh, doing the podcast and stuff, and the way that it's—it's it's grown in the way that it has, uh, and the level of—it's—it's it's the stuff that people don't see. That is—it's yeah. the iceberg analogy. Yeah, it, it is so much bigger than what comes out at the other end. It's mm-hmm. almost laughable, really, if, 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 yeah, you, were that way, I can relate if that. you were that way inclined. It's either laugh or cry. Um, I'm not sure which yet. <laughs> there are some days it's not laughing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm. people need to appreciate that because it, it sounds... And I'm not moaning in any way here. I am, I am not moaning. I'm like you that I feel very lucky and very um, privileged that anybody is willing to loan us a car to try out mm-hmm. is willing to talk to us is willing to chat to me on Twitter. You know, nobody has to do any of that. And at any minute they can just go, you know what? Enough's enough. It's for whatever reason, we're going away uh, or we don't yeah. want to talk to you. So, and that, and, that, and so I am, I am never, I never presume that it would have, it, it, it is a right. And I, and I always feel, and this is something I wanted to ask you when you particularly when you were doing your own blog before that you were a, 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 in Parker's the first few times. And I still get it now and again that I, I go to uh, an event, whether it's a driving day or I'm lucky enough to go to a launch or I meet, go to SMMT even. And I'm walking around mm-hmm. and I'm going, I know that journalist there and I know that one who's there and I read the stuff they do there and there's mm. me here. Ooh. Um, yeah. you, you get a bit of imposter syndrome for a bit. And then, yeah. you, you know, unfortunately I've, I've not face to face come across anyone who's been negative uh, with me because I, I've heard uh, stories of people not being um, more older journalists, not being um, happy to talk to people more from the internet side of things. Yeah, and I've I've been lucky that I've not experienced that face to face, and people are so <laughs> friendly. I found, mm-hmm. and they're so open because you're, and and this is something I I found on Twitter, in the particular corner that I inhabit, that you inhabit as well, is that mm-hmm. whereas social media today seems quite happy for us to all shout at each other, and if you don't agree completely with me, then you're wrong. In the yeah. car corner. We're more forgiving 
we're more happy to just have a conversation about it and we'll acknowledge that some people like that and some people like that and generally we'll accept each other and get on with it because we find some common ground. Yeah. Yeah, and and, that's, and that's, that's one of the things I really like about social media, and I have really liked about the the motoring the motoring press, the writers, the journalists. Because I don't count myself in any of those. Because one, I don't write, and two, I'm not a journalist. But you know, I, I don't count myself as that either because I've I've come at it so late and from such a different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I never want to. F- I hope I know I'm never a- ever arrogant and think, well, they should talk to me because mm. that's not right. No one has to do any of that. And sorry, I've gone off on a slight, no, slight, no. slight tangent here. But um, how did you, you know, the first few times, because did you go to launches when you had your blog? We, uh, a couple. A couple. Yeah, it was, did you it, go it to was training mainly... days and things like that. Yeah, again, a couple of those. Yeah. The, the issue I had was typically. I was freest during school holidays, which is when the launches tend not to happen. Yes, because they're on holiday. <laughs> mm. Selfish PR people. It's, yeah. So I, I didn't do many, but I did a few. Yeah. And before you got the award, how did you feel when you were turning up to those places? Because you, you said you said before, and I don't think this is an uncommon trait in the the motoring writers world. But you said that you're you're a bit of a shy person in person. Uh huh. Yeah. So how was that for you the first first few times you went to something like that? Well, I'll clarify and say it was something that carried on for quite a while after I started at Parker's as well. It wasn't something that immediately disappeared. Oh, come on, the first paycheck, it should have just poof, out the window. <laughs> you know, feelings nice. do that. <laughs> nice if it had. I, I suppose the first few times it's it's... Well, I, I almost felt bewilderment, I suppose. It was it was trying to get your head around something quickly that everybody else there seemed well-versed in. Yeah. Yeah. There were clearly rules of engagement to the whole thing. Um, and I suppose it was... Uh, I suppose I, I also did quite a bit of people watching, so it was, it was interesting from that point of view because you could quickly get a grasp of who who was who and who was talking to who and that lot. And, you know, by and large, you're right, it is a very friendly industry uh i suppose the thing i found is some people not not that's a bad thing it's just the way they operate and that's you know i respect that they they may be only mixing their much smaller circles Mm. but by and large most people are happy to talk to everybody and anybody else on the launch and the first few times particularly before i got into the industry proper i was treated with a degree of suspicion i suppose people asking who i was why was i there uh not quite in such a a negative tone as maybe that although it felt like it at the time yeah um well you're you're going primed aren't you you're going feeling uh a a little bit defensive so you know as as the question's asked you you're understandably going to be a bit defensive and possibly Mm. um i mean i certainly I certainly did. Um, I was, I was, I've been lucky that the place, the times I've been um, to a, a launch or a, a a driving day, I've known a few people on there anyway. So I at least had one or two people I could speak to, and that broke the ice for me because, like you, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not mega comfortable in just going up to someone and going hi. 
I'm Andrew Clues. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. Or anything like that. <laughs> you know, that's that's mm. not that's not that's not me. So it's no. working up into it is is much more preferable. But that's where I found the social media was quite a, a helpful thing mm. in that people well, like I said earlier, you, you feel you know people even though you've not really met them. And that obviously is a two way thing. So I was having people approach me and saying hello, or we've not actually met in real life, but I'm ex you know, so and so with a, a random Twitter handle that doesn't really relate to their name, yes. which is crack windscreen. Um, but, <laughs> I know, uh, but yeah, that that was really helpful because I, although I've got this shyness thing, um, if somebody approaches me and they seem friendly and able to chat, I, that immediately puts me at ease, and I'm I'm fine. Then it all yes. immediately ebbs away. Um, but the, the the standout thing, and I'll I'm, I'm, I won't name names. Um, the standout thing for me was over dinner on my first international launch when I was still blogging and I was positioned between uh, two guys who were asking what I was doing. You know, usual thing. We've not seen you before. Who are you? What do you do? Et cetera. That's fair enough. Um, but the, the communal advice from these two guys was, um, it was an impossibly difficult industry to get into and that I ought to give up now and just concentrate on teaching and have, uh, the benefits of that career instead and basically get a grip of yourself. You're not really going to make it. Um, which, um, oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Can you I pass the if break, anything, it may, <laughs> it may be all the more determined to, to go for it. Cause I thought, well, you know, I've, I've not met you two guys before. I've, I've not got really anything to lose now. You've not read one any of, them, of my stuff. <laughs> there was that. Yeah. One of them I, I haven't seen since. Uh, I, I'm not sure what, level of involvement he's got in the industry the other one i have seen since and see quite regularly and on the first occasion we bumped into each other afterwards um he was very gracious enough to come straight over and shake my hand and said i'm very pleased you proved me wrong Mm. which uh, i thought under the circumstances were quite magnanimous because it could have been very easy for him just to pretend he hadn't remembered saying anything in the past um but they they were the only two. More, I suppose, if anything, more people seem fascinated by the notion that I used to teach. Because I, I guess I suppose to people who've only known me in this job now, it it maybe seems completely alien that I might have you know spent over a decade stood largely at the front of a classroom, scrawling on whiteboards and delivering <laughs> numerous car-related powerpoints, but. Um, as like I say, it seems a world away to me as well. So it's, it's not surprising that it maybe seems a world away to other people who, who've only known me in this life, so to speak. Yeah. I, well, I I don't think I can go any further really in this chat without um, anyone who knows you will know that you are. I don't know if uh, infamous is perhaps the word to use here. I'm not sure where you're going there. Uh, infamous <laughs> for a certain dedication to a collection. Oh, okay. Um, and you've you've hinted at it. Thank God it wasn't the other. No, thing. no, 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 no. We we <laughs> it's all right. We promise not to talk about that. I'm waiting for the check. Um, <laughs> I joke. Now you've hinted at it before, and you said you started this when you were quite young. Why did you start collecting car brochures? The first ones I got were were Volvo ones. This this went from my my dad had that aforementioned Volvo two four four, and we'd go to the the dealership in Lincoln, uh, 
I, d- I don't even know what he was doing, I suppose. He must have just been sort of inquiring about servicing costs or whatever. I, I sort of sauntered into the showroom with him and uh, saw the brochures on, on the display racks in the good old days when they were out and about and you didn't have to ask for them or they were PDF downloads oh, sign only. Them. Sign all your details, <laughs> including email and mobile phone number. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember just picking one or two up and thumbing through them. Uh, and one of the sales guys popped over and asked if I wanted some. Uh, and just gave me one of everything that was there then. And I took them home and read them from cover to cover umpteen times to the point of virtually uh, stripping the ink off, off the pages. I was glaring at them that much. Um, but I, it didn't it didn't sort of really bite me as such as a, as a bug. I'd started to get Car Magazine by that point. Uh, but as I said earlier, I didn't have enough pocket money to get it every month. Um, and I started to buy odd issues of Autocar. Uh, so, yeah, I'd have been about eight, nine, ten at that point. And, and would get odd brochures if I knew my dad was going to the showroom. That was that was about it. So it was almost always Volvo stuff. And I started a secondary school. And uh, one, of, one of my uh, close friends at secondary school, um, a, a guy called Jim, um, who in pleasantly convenient form I'm, I'm meeting up again tomorrow with. Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, he he had a, a reasonable interest in cars, uh, and I suppose at that point it was probably fairly equal into sort of our our depth of geekiness and and passion, I suppose, for one of a better phrase. So he struck upon the idea of if we wrote to the manufacturers or filled the little uh, coupons that you saw on adverts at the time to get brochures sent to you that'd be an easy way of of getting them so he did the first lot as a sample tester and uh, he he got quite a few brochures through the post so i thought i'll have a bit of that um and that's what i did for (laughs) probably the next 10 years on and off uh certainly not every month or anything like that but maybe every six months i contact all the manufacturers and sometimes you just get a whole range brochure which was fine if it was Ford or Vauxhall or Austin Rover when you knew that was all they produced, the big thick ones, sort of 100 odd pages. It was more disappointing if it was a manufacturer you knew produced individual brochures, but they'd obviously just sent you the one, you know, sort of 20 odd or 30 odd page one just to sort of try and keep you please try and keep you quiet and stop. Please stop writing to us. <laughs> uh, but that that was it. I I'd, I had had quite a few. I think by the time I'd started at uni, uh, sort of finished my level, started at uni, I had. Uh, two of your sort of typical six, seven foot high bookcases that contained all of my then collection of magazines, brochures, and priceless. And the notion of having any sort of catalogue of what I'd got was, well, it, it wasn't a notion at all. I'd not even thought about that. Um, and then when I was at uni, uh, I saw an advert for the newer Corto Jumble. Now, this was pre eBay days. Uh, and I took myself along, and there were five or six different guys selling brochures from 1920s and 30s all the way through to present day. And there were tens of thousands of them just piled up on tables. Some some were really ramshackle and quite tatty. Others were neatly presented in boxes and in cellophane wrappers and so on. Um, I remember I could I could have spent thousands of pounds that day if I'd had it. So were you interested in just? Any brochure, or was there a particular time period that you were at that at, at that time Ooh. that you were? That after? that first time I went, that first time I went, I I sort of gone with a view of just looking for brochures for cars that really interested me, uh, 
particularly from being a kid. So I remember that first day, that first one I went to, uh, I bought a uh, <laughs> brochure for the Datsun 120Y, um, Renault 16, mm-hmm. Volvo 262C, uh, and I think I might have bought my first Citroen DS brochure, that one as well. Oh. Uh, but I remember spending quite a small fortune and not coming away with much in terms of new-to-me literature. Um and again, it all sort of melded one thing into the other. So shortly after that, I soon discovered there were two or three websites of, of guys selling car brochures, um, but again, at quite inflated prices. And then eBay happened and things seemed to find different values, but a lot of stuff came down in asking price. Mm. Uh, and I, because I used to be a regular at the Jumble, I struck up a deal with one guy who was always there. Uh, a lovely guy called Pete Bacheri, who since passed away, unfortunately, but he he was quite interested in sort of helping me build this collection up. Uh, he, he probably had tw- ten times as many as I had at that time, um, and it was around that time I developed this loose notion of collecting any brochure, predominantly for a UK market car. I'd started to build up a collection of Japanese to domestic market stuff and a few North American market things as well. But my, my principal aim was to try and get a a brochure for every make and model of car sold officially in the UK post-war. Now, it's probably going to be virtually impossible. And I am I suspect in reality, I'm only, oh, I can't even put a percentage, I'm, I'm nowhere near getting remotely completed. But I've got, in total, um, a little over 20,000 brochures now. Um, do you, and on do top you of that, thumb through these, or are they strictly non-interferable? Um, no, no, I, I, I do. I, I use them. I use them a lot. Um, uh, you know, even even this year already, I've done a feature for Parkers that required me to look at uh, car colours over the years, uh, and having the brochures in, in available to me was was invaluable just to sort of dip in and go all right you know car x is available in so many colors today how many colors was it available in back in 1997 Mm -hmm. so it's it's useful from that point of view and i did spend time cataloging them um a couple of years ago i've I've still got other stuff to do so for instance i i know there's 20 or thousand brochures and there's something in the region of half a million pages worth of information within them well, I'm photographing, but I've got in the region of uh, 4,000 price lists. I've still only just starting to catalogue what I've got for there. Um, and in terms of books and magazines now, I've, I've got in the region of 200, something like that, books. Um, magazines are a bit trickier to sort of count. I, I, I've got every issue of car from number one when it was small car and mini owner mm. so i got a complete run of that from september 62 um and i also decided for auto car and motor because i still get auto car on subscription um a legacy from my mid-teens <laughs> um I've, I've gradually sort of bought old magazines backwards so i think i've got something like Again, I, I'd sort of decided to use 1945 as an effective starting date for the market restarting after the war mm-hmm. as, as a when I'd go back to. So Something remotely sensible in all this. 
<laughs> yeah, there's, there's a degree of logic there. Um, I think I've got about 70% of all the post-war issues of Autocar and wow. um, probably nearer 90% of the post-war issues of Motor before it merged, well, was taken over by, by Haymarket in 88. So, yeah, it's a, it's a sizable collection um, and I, it's currently spread over two rooms um which is is not ideal on various levels mm-hmm. um but mainly for the access to them because i've I say when i was at uni and i maybe had two uh sort of seven foot high bookcases full of stuff i probably need now in the region of uh <laughs> 25 to put it in some kind of perspective wow. Uh, but I've only got space for fourteen. So, so why so do you bother. still do? Why do you still collect them? Why is this a because you're a bit of a completionist? Or, I mean, I know you've said you've said that you do actually use them professionally. Mm. Um, they are yeah. they are used professionally. But how come you you still do? It? Is it just because it's something you do? Uh, I suspect that there's there's a degree of of it being habitual. Yeah, that's that's fair. I suppose. Um, I. I, it's funny, I just can't really imagine stopping. And I know certain things will force it to stop. So, f- for instance, various manufacturers, uh, as I alluded to earlier, no longer produce printed brochures. You can only download the PDFs. And Ooh, Yeah, I, <laughs> very much so. Because <laughs> I, I do enjoy that tactility of, of holding the, the physical brochure. And, yeah, I know you could you could print off a PDF on good quality paper and so on. It's not, it's, it's not the same. I, I no, remember my dad getting uh, company cars and things and he'd bring the brochure home. And I would, I similar to what you were saying there, I'd wear it out by reading through it because mm. for starters, there'd be this glamorous lifestyle um, that would be portrayed across some of the pages that you go, that's mm-hmm. amazing. I want a piece of that, you know, skiing mm-hmm. through Leicestershire because that's what happens all the time <laughs> yeah, well, or, yes. or whatever. <laughs> Um, but it, it was you were able to to look at, at and again details. But you were able to look at details, and then they'd show you the here's your options, and this is what this cloth mm-hmm. looks like in the seat, or here's yep. the leather, and and you know it, it's that whole journey of what we do now, and we go on and uh, we spend time doing the um, oh, what do you call it when you you're. Oh, I can configure it. Yeah, configure That was it. Thank yeah. you. It's Friday, everyone. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> Keith, very good. And it's words. actually three in the I'm morning not. as we're doing this. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you're taking us seven hours to get to this point. Yes. Skype, you have a lot to answer for. That's, that's a hell of a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> see if you can condense it down to three and a half. <laughs> yes, I'll see what I can do. Maybe, maybe two parts. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, I, I I do understand the um, the tactile uh, side of holding it and looking at it, and it it sounds. I, I don't want to come across as sounding old fashioned, because mm. I I don't think I am because I do I do like technology and I do like what technology allows us to do now. Yeah, but I do also really like holding a, a brochure or even a magazine. And stuff, and I don't, I don't buy enough yeah, magazines yeah, yeah. and things. Partly because you get a lot of information online before it comes out in print. But there are particular writers uh, out there that I will mm-hmm, get a magazine mm-hmm. because I want to read their longer form thing. I wouldn't perhaps go down to twenty five 
massive bookcase size needing but i but there is something special about holding a, a brochure and flicking through it and looking at what someone has spent time writing (laughs) because that's the other thing about online now is that not not everything has as much time spent on it because Mm -hmm. people don't have that time or are not afforded that time and i'm not talking about the 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 reviews and things like that but i'm just talking what a manufacturer would produce they don't people don't don't get the time that they would if it was only print so you know there are there are changes for good and ill. So no, no, I know exactly what you mean. And, and mm. conversely, a lot of the a lot of the stuff online is is uh, much more ephemeral than the brochures were designed to be in the first place. <laughs> you know, I think that that's part of the thing that appeals about the brochures. And and, I, and it, running the risk of making me sound an even sadder git than I really am, if that's possible. I, to me, there's there's almost more of a fascination with one of the old prices is maybe just one side of A5 paper with black text printed on it, just with the list mm. of models that were print, uh, for sale that particular month or that particular six, three-month period or whatever it was, because they're much more likely to have been thrown away. You know, there's more chance that the brochure with the nice pictures and the specs and the, the photographs of the seat trims and that is going to have been kept in whatever level of condition. But, you know, the price lists are, are much rarer. Um, I, I, I totally get that. there are virtually no interest to anybody else but me and, and a handful of others. But um, yeah, it's the, 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 the very much snapshots of of motoring history, and and, and part of me, uh, without trying to sound remotely overblown, it, part of me thinks I, you know to a certain degree I'm I'm preserving a little corner of history that to a degree, not not that I get hordes of people coming round to, to sort of look at my stuff, but I'll occasionally invite friends and colleagues over. And, and uh, in fact, one said earlier today that the first time I asked him over if he wanted to come and have a look, it was like, yeah, I'll come, but mm. more out of politeness. Mm. Um, but then the more you're here and the more you sort of yeah. thinking, oh, I remember when my dad had yeah. one of those or one of the neighbours had one of those. And before you know where you are, you've been sucked in and sort of two or three hours have gone. And all you've been doing is looking at old car brochures. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody wants to recommend a counsellor or anything, please feel free. You think you'll you'll stick at this until you can no longer afford to do it or physically capable of doing it? Don't forget, you've only got two kidneys. It, it'll be the yeah, but it'll be more the physically capable or the or the space. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, uh, this. I don't know. I'd, I, I suppose it's almost like a separation anxiety. The thought of them not being part of of my stuff uh, makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, it's been for so long in your life. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make that. Sorry, that sounded a little bit pithy. No, no. A bit like, but no, it's been so, so long a part of your life that it would be difficult to try and think about a life without that. Mm. It, it must be. Um, no, but I mean, I, I completely applaud your dedication to it and the and cataloguing it as well. I mean, it's one thing to to have it all, but then to catalogue it as well is that is dedication to the course. Sir. Yeah, it's also partly for insurance purposes, but that's again the less glamorous side of it. If <laughs> if there's something that can be less glamorous than having a collection of fusty old magazines and brochures. <laughs> 
it's, 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 wouldn't wouldn't be top of most people's list of things to do. Right. Well, I just want to touch on your work at Parkers now. Mm. Uh, before we, and this should be fairly brief. Before we get onto the quickfire questions. Okay. Is this job what you hoped it would be? Is it what you expected, or uh, has has things happened with? Sorry, I'm asking you several questions at once <laughs> here, but uh, and there will be a test at the end. I do expect an answer to all of them. Um, sorry, was it what you hoped? Has it been what you've expected, or, or is there something that has happened that was unexpected? It's been more than I hoped it would be. I oh, well, okay. I have to say, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> by the way, I think I think in in every job, there's always those elements of things that you've got to do mm. um, that are less interesting or, or don't grab your attention or, or for want of a better phrase, turn you on as much as the, the more exciting bits of the job. But um, there, there must be elements of that in the role I'm doing. But I think because, because maybe they're bits other people might find boring, like creating model histories or, or trying to decipher, for instance, when a trim level changed from LX to GLX or something like that. That's I find that little treasure hunt trail of trying to track that sort of thing down incredibly interesting, which I realise is now making me sound even more sad than I did before when I was talking about the brochures. No, but it's it's that ties into that because mm. it, it, it seems to me that you've got an almost um, – it's almost a forensic – side to it yeah because you're you're chasing down details and this this ties back to you know what you were saying right at the 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 top of the episode yeah about detail orientated uh uh, and focusing on details um but it, it is a forensic type investigation that has to go on because you're having to dig through many things through many sources and different ways to get the information Mm -hmm. i'm in awe of someone who is uh able to to hunt out the detail, not go just to the first or second level and go, that's enough, that'll do. Because you don't do that. You you really investigate something and you know the, the information on it. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a, you know, very sad way, but you I mean you know it so that you can deliver proper information to anyone who's reading. Yes. Yeah, I suppose the, the slightly... Well, the, the thing about it is obviously you do have to dig into it that deep to make sure you understand it, but it's then representing it in a much more compact concise engaging and and easy easy to grasp form afterwards so yeah yep that's you're only, you're only going to be able to do that once you <laughs> once you've understood it in the first place and you've got yep. got to the bottom or whatever it was but um i mean don't get me wrong the, the roles change i've only been in this role um six months or over a bit longer than that but it's um only in the past few months that i've being able to devote a lot more time to it while my my other roles sort of gradually got phased out as our editorial so team got that? bigger. Uh, so I was staff writer initially, um, mm-hmm. so doing a lot more road tests, going on a lot more launches and so on. So the the launches and the the number and variety of cars I drive has has dropped this year, um, largely at my own request to spend more time doing this role um, and to make a. You know, ultimately to make a success of this role and and cement that as as you know that element of how Parkers does its does its thing, um, and hopefully set a template that I can you know potentially down the line if if somebody else wants to get involved in a, in a more serious way I can you know potentially show them the ropes that way too, and then it allows me to potentially try some other things too. 
within Parker's team. Well, we're talking of other things. How mm. did the video work come up? Um, <laughs> Award-winning, yeah, shall we say? Yeah, uh, which, which again, I still still can't quite understand that. But um, yeah, can you? For anyone who doesn't know, can you? Um, can you let them know what award I am alluding to here? Yeah, it was it was uh, la- March last year. I was um, very very humbled and, and fortunate to be uh, announced as uh, news press's uh, winner of the automotive video category at my um, my first and and at that time only attempt at, at producing a video. So that was um, and who did you beat? Well, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I still don't feel comfortable saying beat, certainly. But uh, the, Sorry, the, who was highly commended? The, the other highly commended you were people awarded the winner was uh, were JLR's uh, PR team, Alex Goy, uh, who I mentioned earlier as well, and who I know has been subject to one of your earlier podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, Rory and Rory Reed of uh, of Top Gear fame. Yes. So yes. yeah, it was. Uh, it, I, I was, there will be I was, a link in the show notes to that video okay. because oh. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. But it, it came about very simply because uh, the, the the chap who filmed and produced it, uh, Will King from Epics Media, little plug, um, uh, somebody I've, I've known for quite a few years now uh, uh, as a friend, and he, he when I was blogging before, he offered to help me get involved in doing video production because it was something he he does video production as a career but he hadn't done car videos he tended to be more corporate things although he's worked on a few of uh, guy martin's tv projects as well okay. um uh but i i was really reluctant to do it when i was blogging because uh one i i just didn't think i'd be able to be able to stand in front of a camera and, and talk coherently or reasonably coherently so i always said no and i was i was worried that if they were really terrible would that affect my chances of trying to break into the industry i was i was hoping to become part of so i was always reluctant to do it and then uh been at parker's obviously about two two years at that point we just met up for a coffee one saturday morning and we got chatting about it um and we just decided to do one so it was all very quick that the following Saturday penned together a script and we agreed we'd film it on the Sunday. And that was it. He, he did it in his own time because obviously we were, it, it was, it was a, an off the radar project, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd essentially done it to see if I could reasonably look semi-sensible in front of the camera, um, doing something like that. And, Will, as I say, whilst his experience in video production, hadn't done a car one. I wanted to see how, you know, what the pitfalls and so on were with that. Um, and then when when he showed me the finished article, uh, I suppose because just the way I am, I, I wasn't 100% happy with it. Not not Will's bits, I mean, just my bits. But again, it's like anything I write, I'm still never 100% happy with, with what I've produced. Um, but I thought, yeah, you know, it's, it's actually not too bad, as 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 odd as that felt to say about something I was watching with me in it. Um, <laughs> and I showed it a few people, and the feedback seemed positive. So, ooh, right, I'd not mentioned anything about this at work, so I'll, I'll show a few people at work, and 
long story short, it was it was very well thought of internally, um, and so we. I was I was given permission to put some Parker's branding on it, even though it hadn't been an official project at the time, and mm. um, and that was that. Well, I thoroughly applaud anyone who who does any video work that comes across as uh, remotely competent, let alone humorous. Um, spoiler alert: um, <laughs> humorous or informative as well, uh, because I've I've tried it several times. I am happy to talk uh, on a microphone. Uh-huh. I am I am happy to chat to people who because we've we've not had the uh, I've not been lucky enough to meet you in person yet. Um, you know, as I haven't, we. You might hope uh, quite... it stays like that at the end of this. <laughs> no, you might. <laughs> um, like I haven't with uh, several of the guests um, that have, that have been on here, mm. but I'm 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 very comfortable talking one to one. But I've tried a few times of putting a camera and trying to do something, and that shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be difficult. But I find it incredibly difficult, and it's more of a getting over myself thing. Yeah. So I applaud anyone who can do it. Like the, what Alex does, considering the timescales he does it in as well, mm. is amazing. I, yeah. I loved your video. I thought that was it was a really good video that was um, good fun. Thank and, you. And I think that's something that isn't always in videos, that they can be fun. Uh, and they should perhaps, yeah. perhaps there isn't enough fun out there in the motoring universe sometimes sometimes we do and and I know my the new show is a bit guilty of that as well that we're <laughs> quite a lot guilty of that actually yeah. that we forget it you know it can be fun and it should be fun perhaps <laughs> i i think so i think there's there's maybe um this unwritten rule that consumer journalism needs to be very earnest and played with a completely straight bat and i think no it doesn't have to be you can be you can be informative you can you can you could be a beautiful writer and still do consumer journalism really well arguably better than somebody who writes in that more sort of straightforward clinical black and white form because people are going to be engaged and and that was part of the thing it it with the video it wasn't necessarily to try and be funny and I, I was very conscious that while i i enjoy trying to be humorous and failing 99 percent of the time i it, it, i felt it was my only real in uh for that kind of thing to, to try and build some engagement but I, I was very conscious that it might fall hopelessly on its ass but it, no but i i felt it reflected you that i knew on twitter perfectly you know yeah. it wasn't like the, oh this is right this is keith on a video which is a different Keith to who I chat to on Twitter. It wasn't that at all. It was the same Keith. And, and I think that was a, that's, that's not a mean feat to pull off. Oh, I appreciate that. That's, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Okay. Well, it, I mean, enough gushing now. Um, <laughs> in an ideal world, what would you like to develop to do in the next three or four years? Um, and, and by the way, everyone, I have really just dropped that right on. Yeah, that is have. not one of the. I do just to let anybody know who's that you will recognise there is a rough structure to this to the chats, and I do send through some questions and some rough idea. But the actual individual questions until we get to the quickfire ones, I do not warn anyone on. I sort of just get this idea of these are the sort of topics we're going to talk about. 
Um, so I have really just dropped this on Keith right now. Uh, sorry about that, Keith. That's, That's all right. Hard. I probably should have done that at this top of the interview <laughs> rather than right at the end. Um, I'd... I'd like to find a mechanism for making some of the data-rich content that I've got within my collection of self accessible for people, well, predominantly other journalists to use as a research tool. I don't think it's the sort of thing uh, members of Joe Public would be particularly interested in, but journalists and, and interested folk in particular, just some kind of way of making, as I say, that data-rich stuff. Um, so you think, are you thinking like an app or are you thinking a digital library? Um, I haven't, it, am I asking a quite detailed question to you, this? You're, you're, ask, you're asking detail on the basis I've, I've not, thoroughly explored what would work best but I, on, you've had 30 seconds to think about this. i i think there's uh <laughs> having spoken to colleagues who who deal more with with sort of classic car and, and more recent classics um there seems to be a potential gap that i could help fill somehow but i i'm still trying to figure out what's the best way of doing that rather than having streams of people traipse around and uh, pull brochures out and potentially put them back in the wrong place on the shelf. Uh, and not use white gloves. Indeed. Yeah, I need, I need to buy some cotton gloves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Um, Which I know is very vague, but that, that's No, no, better. no, that's, that's an incredibly impressive undertaking if you can pull that off in any way. I, I may as well give up on any element of the rest of my life if I do that. But yeah, I, I, I almost need well, to do a feasibility is there study to enable digitization. It is relatively quickly. I know you have a vast amount of information. Yeah, that's that's the problem. It, it relatively might... quickly, it could be done. Ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking a week. <laughs> no. Yes, I, I should also point out before any uh, lawyers or uh, legal eagles from various titles are suddenly thinking, "Hang on, he's not going to be putting pages from." Magazine X on uh, online or anything like that. I, I don't mean that at all. I literally mean. You mean the brochures? The, well, not not even that. I literally mean just the detail. data, the data from them, which was uh, in the uh, in the in the public domain anyway, rather than magazine or title specific stuff. Mm. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. No, for, thank you for answering that um, left field question. Out of nowhere. Right, I'm going to move on to the quickfire questions, which you have seen. I've seen. Before. So I'm trying to remember will, what they are. but These, uh, these will not come as a complete surprise, at least. They may well do, depending on how well I've remembered them. <laughs> so, I'll start, well, I'm going to start this bit with uh, the mantra, and it's more, it, it is only to myself here, uh-huh. that I am going to try and not carry on after you've answered the question that I ask you uh, oh, I see. Okay. by saying ah but oh does that mean or something like that because the, some of these questions I, I realise now 23 episodes in um, that <laughs> I, I have potentially opened Pandora's box on some of these <laughs> <laughs> and there are rabbit holes to and, and other cliches to fall down uh, with these so uh, the idea is I will ask you the question you will answer the question okay. I will move on to the next question right that's okay. the idea 
the best I've done so far is up to uh, question three before that all went out the window. So <laughs> right. let's see how okay. we get on this, okay. this time. So I'm going to ask you the first one, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? The pace of technological change, I think, at the minute. And what worries you about the motoring world? One would be that, uh, and it's a huge sweeping statement, I know, uh, but one would be that younger people don't seem quite as hooked on cars or even driving as maybe they did when I was there, eight, sort of one in the clock back, 20, 25 years. Um, that troubles me. Um, and it's not just a reference to my own kids having zero interest in cars at all. I think it, it seems to be more of a, a widespread thing than that. Um, and not so much of a worry, but more of a disappointment. I suppose while there's huge leaps in tech, uh, relevant tech that's in cars, um, stylistically, I think we've we've almost plateaued a bit. You know, if you look at cars from the 30s, to the shape they were in the 50s, there was a significant leap. And from then the 50s to the 70s, there was quite a significant leap, if not quite as big. But then from the 70s to the 90s and the 90s to the 2010s, the cars are still largely the same sort of shapes and silhouettes they were then. Um, and you do see some radical stuff. Um, and we have over the years, um, Fiat Multipla, BMW i3, that kind of thing where something very deliberately different is put out there and it the market seems reluctant to take that up um, mm. which which is a shame so not a worry uh, but something that disappoints me I, something we've discussed on the news show a few times is um i think buyers are conservative with a small c mm-hmm. um but i wonder whether the um the again conservative with the small c design changes in the last 10 15 maybe yeah 50, 10 15 years is down to a lot down to um safety regulations that they're being stipulated with yeah could be i mean you can certainly certainly the frontal areas of cars in particular you can see how that's impacted yeah but the other end of that argument is the one that you brought up there is the i3 Mm. That's that's constrained by the same safety regs. However, that doesn't look like anything else on the road at the moment. No, that's true. Although, without going too far down the the let's bore everybody to sleep route, obviously the the frontal aspect can be much stubbier than it is because it's not got an engine to absorb and prevent getting shoved back into the cabin. So they can use that yep. space much more efficiently for that. But I'm not saying the i3 is a beautiful car. I, I really appreciate the fact it looks so distinctive. But mm. it's almost as though it's 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 almost too radical for people. Was it the um, it was the Audi A2? Was it the mm-hmm. A2 that was? A, it's very similar look overall look from a you know from yeah from yeah, a distance. Suppose, but it's, yeah. it's it's that sort of thing. Two questions then, though you were there. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Mm. But, uh, no one was expecting me to go very far. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, right, I'm going to. Uh, th- I have no idea how you're going to answer this next one. Sometimes I do get a, an impression from people, but I don't. I really don't have a clue on this one. But what has been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? What is that ever? Or... Yes. I think it's. Uh, I'm going to give a politician's answer. Uh, I I don't <laughs> think I could narrow it down to one. Okay. But 
what I can hand on heart say, the car that I look forward to driving the most, because you're, well, I, I'm guaranteed just to be laughing my head off almost all the time I'm in it, is a Renault Twizy. I have never driven one. I am desperate to try mm. one. I think they look such a hoot. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're flawed. I'm not going to pretend they're remotely perfect. They're flawed, <laughs> but they're often the most enjoyable cars in life are. <laughs> last time I had one or a going one was last uh, September uh, and it was in the pouring rain so uh, myself and uh, a colleague were getting soaked in it at the same time but it's just just the sheer unbridled joy you can have at such low speeds uh, and how uh, without transcend to reprobate-ish um, just the ease of which it will kick its back end out on a wet roundabout at relatively low speed is just so the whole, heard. yeah yeah so uh is as i say it's it's flawed but it's i i would love to own one and, and it's it's times like this where i sort of think well, i wish i did work a little bit nearer so that i could try and persuade somebody to organize me one as a long term but obviously it's a, a non-starter for mm. that for that but um I keep having this hunch that when I do get back into car ownership at some point, it will be one with, with one of those. Okay, conversely to that then, what has been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? And this can be of all time, of all time. I had forgotten about that one, actually. Um, there, are, there are some cars that you hope you'll enjoy and you don't. So some... Some maybe disappoint, or they or they don't fire you up in a way that you would like. I've I've not got any that I despise because I. Well, that's good. May, maybe it's the like the consumer journalism element of me now that I I think every car has appeal, and part of my job is to try and understand what that appeal is and convey my interpretation of that appeal. Because you know every car sells at least one example. Therefore, there must be a market for that car. And I've, I've got to try and get my head around what that is. But in terms of ones I I didn't enjoy as much as I wanted to, I suppose, I, w- I was fortunate enough in fairly quick succession a few years ago to have uh, a weekend with a 911 Turbo. And a few weeks later, with a rear-wheel drive, uh, non-turbo Carrera. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very easy to respect the turbo and its performance uh, and its sheer ability. But I found I had more fun in the entry-level spec, effectively 911. Than I, than I did in the range topper and that threw me to a degree um, but I, yeah I, I just found that I, I discovered one of my favourite cars at one end of the range and one that I, I just struggled to get my head around at the other and so I suppose um, yeah I wouldn't say least favourite because I, I don't think I can genuinely answer that. 
Um, but it was it was the one that I because you're I, a true professional. <laughs> it was the one that I I I didn't understand what it was about as as okay. much or as easily uh, as at the opposite end of the range. And this is this is again a very open question. But which car would you like to own next? Well, as, as I said a few minutes ago, I, I suspect in a in an ideal world, uh, a Twizy could be the next thing I I do take a plunge with. But as and when that will be, I don't know. Um, but if it was more a you've just won X hundred thousand or million on the lottery, uh, what would you buy first? The the car I would still go out and buy ahead of anything else would be a, a Citroen SM. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yep, I can see that. That's a very good answer. In metallic brown. Obviously. Mm. Obviously. God. It's, uh, there's no other colours it comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I notice. <laughs> the immaterial. Yeah. What is your favourite road to drive on? There's, uh, I won't be too specific about where it is. There's a stretch on my my unofficial test loop around okay, Lincoln. Don't say that. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't share the magic quick. <laughs> it's, it's deceptive because it looks straight when you first approach it and it's actually quite twisty and narrow, but it's incredibly well sighted. So you, you've got plenty of time to prepare when something is coming the other way, um, be it in the daylight or in dark. Um, and it's it's remarkable because it shows up the handling differences. It's very undulating. It's, it's not pothole as such, but the surface ripples, uh, both high frequency and, and low frequency type of, of undulations. But it really highlights handling differences and, and ride differences between lots of different cars. And some cars I've no doubt could quite easily tackle this particular section in three figures and not break a sweat. And I had, at the opposite end of the scale to that, I had one uh, now no longer on sale city car um, try and spit me off the road at 40 miles an hour on the same stretch. As a as a sort of example of the differences between them, but it's it's a part of a route I try and do at least once a week. But yeah, I, I can't I can't be too well. I could be, but I won't be too specific about no, no, where exactly it is. But yeah, no, so. you'll find other people on it. Mm. Then it's no good. Uh, what is the most pointless optional extra you have experienced? It's yeah, you know it's it's not so much of an option. It's it's something quite a few cars now have as standard and that is um the synthesized exhaust note Ooh, that's the first time that's been i've never i've not well i've not knowingly no no i've not been in a car that has that so i've not experienced that because it comes through the speakers doesn't it that's right it's it's a growing trend do you know what i i I get the whole thing that cars have to make the right noise and and sound good but i can what i if, if it was a a, a large family car or, or an MPV or an SUV or whatever, I, I don't need to have this silly electronic trickery no. making it sound like I've got a V8 under the bonnet when it's a a four-pot turbo diesel. I, I just don't get it. If it. Surely 
surely the whole part of being refined, if, you, if you've got a car with double glazing and really quiet climate control and all that sort of shebang, that, that, that's fine. But then don't sully the experience by pumping some fake noise through the speakers. No, I completely agree with you. The last of the quickfire questions, which is, who do you think I should talk to after you? Tonight, me? That was a bit late. Well, not, not right know. now, because that would be unfair on whoever it was I was going to stalk. Oh, okay. Um, am, I, am I allowed to suggest more than one? Yes. Okay. Well, out of uh, corporate deference to my, my editor, Keith Adams, I would suggest he would be a good subject to, uh, to chat to with his uh, interesting and varied career history and even more interesting and varied car history as well. The other would be uh, celebrated artist Ian Cook of Pop Band Colour Fame. Cool. Who, if if you've, uh, or if any of your listeners haven't come across him, um, he's worth hunting out on YouTube just to see how he paints using radio control cars and tyres and other automotive bits of bodywork that he has. Yeah, I've seen him in action. Uh, it was in the uh, Motor Museum near Land Rover. What's that Motor Museum called again? Uh, well, now, now the British Motor Museum, but yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he used to have I, a studio I saw him in game. action there, but mm. I also saw him in action at uh, one of the Coventry Motor Festivals. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've been fortunate, to, fortunate enough to meet, meet him at um, a car event as well. And he is a thoroughly lovely chap. He is indeed, yeah. And he is on my hit list. But I shall add, and that which sounds far more sinister than it really is, but um, <laughs> and I shall, I shall add uh, Keith Adams to that as well, uh, because I do follow him on Twitter, and he is an interesting chap on there. I better so, pre-warning um, when I see him on Monday. You're on a hit list. <laughs> <laughs> Just random chap. He's mm. in the northwest. You'll be safe. Mm. Well, this is the last question then I have for you completely, uh, okay. which is uh, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do, get in touch, um, keep up to date with uh, what uh, Keith Silent WR Jones is doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose Twitter is still the best way. Um, I'm at Keith WR Jones on there. Um, I'm probably nowhere near as prolific as I was a few years ago. Uh, I'd like to think less is more, but it's maybe just <laughs> just 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 less <laughs> less is less as it is. Uh, and uh, I apologise in advance for the terrible naffness of the jokes and so on on there. But I, uh, yeah, that's probably the best way of getting in touch. And I do genuinely try and respond to anybody who uh, messages. So um, uh, it, again, if you if. <sighs> I can't imagine why you would be really, but if if you're interested enough to ask me something specific about either the library or or career, whatever, or how I got into doing this, or you know any anything you want, then please feel free. Don't don't sort of think, oh, well, not bother because he's not going to bother replying. I I will genuinely try and reply, and and if I don't for whatever reason, then feel free to give me a nudge. I'm, I'm not as scary as I might appear in my picture. I'm just a very sad man with a large brochure collection, so. <laughs> Look, looking for strap line. Looking for all the friends I can I can get. Uh, no, he is uh, he is wonderfully um, communicative on Twitter. Uh, if you do not follow him, then you should. Um, uh, and it just leads me to say thank you so much for being on. I've had an absolute blast. Um, oh no, thank you for asking me. It's uh, it's I, been a pleasure. Thank you. 
No, it's been it's been great, uh, and and hopefully we'll be at an event one day where we can actually meet each other in person <laughs> and be all awkward in, in front yes. of each other, so. pretending we don't know each other. Then yes, so, hi, I'm the crack windscreen chap. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on um, really appreciate uh, that you've been on here and, and this has been a great time thank you so much oh, thank you thank you thanks once again to Keith for coming on Rearview and chatting to me I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show please do get in touch if you use the hashtag RearviewPod we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, we do have an Audible offer, which is available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which, if taken up, helps support the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. Please do go leave a review and rating on iTunes or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing because it really makes a difference to helping other people see and find this show. I'd also like some feedback on the length of this show. Typically, I try and keep them down to about an hour, hour and a bit. Uh, However, this one is two hours. Could you let me know if you think that this is a suitable length or whether you prefer me to split them up like I have done in the past? Once again, if you use the hashtag RearViewPod, that'll help me find out. Thank you for that. So until next time, that was Keith Jones. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.